I am Camille Johnson, and this is Finding the Floor. Stories and reflections of midlife motherhood, family, and finding meaning in it all. Join me as I share a little piece of my life and figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Hey everyone, welcome to Finding the Floor. This is episode 78, and today I'm going to talk about the downside of habits. What? Wait a second, I thought this whole book, it'll be my last installment this week about James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, and I thought the whole point was to establish habits, but apparently... At the end, he, he talks about how you have to be careful because sometimes you can get in a rut and obviously there's bad habits we're trying to overcome, but then there's sometimes things that can happen if you're just not, I guess, striving to make yourself aware every once in a while. And we'll go into a lot of that in just a minute. But I did, I had recorded this episode before. I was traveling this week with my husband, which was so fun. Just a couple quick days. He had some meetings in Miami and asked if I wanted to come along. I was like, "Um, yeah, of course. So while he was in meetings, I would work on outlines or just sit on the beach or mostly be outside as much as I could because I won't see the sun forever. So it was a great couple days. So nice to see the sun and the beach and the water and the cute lizards. And then we came back (laughs) from, it wasn't super, super warm. There were actually some cooler days, like 65 degrees, which coming from like 10 is a lot. So, but then when you're expecting kind of warmer weather, it seems cool. But not that I'm complaining. I'm just saying we left 75 degrees. And then when we got back home, it was like nine. (laughs) Yay, Cleveland. Nine and cloudy. That's what we're going (laughs) to. Got to get used to that for a little while. Anyway, I recorded it, but I used a different mic, and when I was listening to it earlier, I just thought, uh, I don't think this is going to be good. So I'm just quickly re-recording this with a better mic, my usual mic, and yeah. So here we go. Downsides of habits, which kind of seems like, wait, what? But then there's also a point where you're like, oh yeah, I could see that there are downsides of habits. And one of the things he points out, so this is near the end of the book. You've gone through most of the laws and near the end of the book, he kind of says, all right, now you need to watch out for a few things. And so these are the few things that stood out to me that I'm going to share with you. First, he points out that sometimes as you start 
getting really good at a particular skill per se. And maybe this is more of, let's say, an athletic skill or um, a skill that you have to have a foundation for to move on to something else. He says, sometimes when we get really good at that skill, we actually start declining in our performance as we become better in that habit, if that makes sense. So when I thought about this, I really thought about when I was coaching divers. So I spent about nine seasons coaching for Case Western Reserve University, and they didn't have a big diving team. It depended on the year, but what I noticed is that I would get divers. Some of them would have a lot of experience and some would have a little. And I would have to teach them. Sometimes I'd have to teach them new dives or sometimes I would have to fix things that they've got in a bad habit. And especially just getting back to the fundamentals, if you have to have a good hurdle or a takeoff when you're going backwards, that really makes a difference. If your body has kind of gotten lazy And you're not really thinking about that part of the dive, which really sets everything up. It makes such a big difference. So I can see how, especially sports-wise, how sometimes your performance can decline as things get easier and you're doing them so often. And that was the case with some of my divers. And there was one particular diver who... We tried to fix his back takeoff for four years. He had hit the board once and had always just been afraid since then. And his coping was just to launch himself back. And he could do really hard dives and would go way back. I don't know how he was able to like figure out where he was and, but he could do it because that's how he compensated and so we were we would try to fix and we would do drills and all these things to try to help him break that habit of like launching himself backwards and it really was so hard to do and by the end of the 4 years i don't know if i had to give up but we had to really concentrate on making the best of <laughs> the dive like having it finish well or you know you kind of just had to embrace what you couldn't change. And so he's saying sometimes you need to be in a place where you can reevaluate regularly and then you kind of prevent yourself from getting in a bad habit that you don't realize is happening um, over time. So he says he has two evaluations a year that he does, one with his business and one with he calls it an integrity evaluation. Like, is he living into the values that he says he wants to live? And what I found really interesting is that in my worship, every Sunday, I am asked to evaluate each week how I'm doing with my worship, with my keeping in my values and my faith beliefs as I renew taking the sacrament each week. So I think that's a really cool idea of just being aware each week to just think about how how you're doing living within your values. You know, a lot of times we think about keeping the commandments and doing the things we want to do 
to, again, from the beginning, become the person that we want to become. I noticed that when I was coaching diving, when we got a video camera that had a little bit of a delay, that when the divers could actually see themselves regularly, kind of see where they were. And, you know, I would tell them some things they needed to work on or how they might have fallen back a little bit or landed this way or that. But then when they could actually see it, it was like, oh, okay, I see where I need to go. And so sometimes it's also good to just that idea of the awareness part at the beginning, just keeping on doing that regularly. Point and what was it called? The, the point and call out. Are these habits you're creating? Are these things you're doing? You need to step up a bit and just become a little bit more aware and maybe readjust because it's probably easier to do it when you're not too far away from what you wanted than, for instance, like my diver, he was so far in this habit. It was really, really, really challenging because his body just would automatically go and <laughs> throw his back takeoffs just way back. The one thing he said that can kind of help with this as you're establishing your habits and trying to keep them growing and keep a little bit of challenge so that they don't get too stagnant and you, you really stop thinking about them or you your awareness goes away is that he mentions the Goldilocks rule. And he talks about how when we're doing something, if it is just a little bit challenging for us, then it gives us the desire to work a little bit harder on it. But if it's too easy, we actually don't even want to try. And if it's too hard, we get thoughts that it's too overwhelming that again, we don't want to try. I was thinking a lot about the Goldilocks rule. And again, I'm going back to sports, but with my kids and their soccer games, or really any type of sporting game where you have an opponent that is so much better. And they're really not fun to watch. There were so many times, especially in this conference that our high school is in, there's probably four schools that are just so, so much better than our soccer team that by the end of the first half, it would be 10-0 and the second half would be just keep away. And many times if I knew that they were playing those teams, I'd just be like, hey, I'm not going to come because <laughs> I know how the game's going to go. And that sounds lame. Like, of course, I want to watch my kids and see how they do. But it's funny how when someone is so much better and you're playing against them, it really is, it's almost, it's harder to work hard because it just feels pointless. And also on the other side, it's easy to, when you're also playing someone and you're way better than them, I notice that when my kids play somebody that they're the ones that are so much better that they actually make a lot of mistakes and their playing level gets worse. So what he says, it's kind of like the same thing with the Goldilocks rule. It is so much more fun to watch a game when you have these equally matched teams 
in skill and athleticism. And I know my favorite games have always been the ones that are really close. And, you know, it's nail biter at the end. And we had this super fun game just in the fall where Simeon's team went to the playoffs and they went to penalty kicks at the end and they won. But the whole game was just back and forth. And it was a fun, fun game to watch. And I felt the same way when this past Christmas break, I was playing tennis with my son and we were pretty equally matched and we had a really fun game because it wasn't a blowout on either side. We were actually so equally matched. Every game would like go to deuce and then one of us would win and then the other one would and kind of depending on how our serve went. But that is such a good rule to think about the Goldilocks rule, you know, not too cold, not too hot, not too hard and not too easy, somewhere that's challenging you that you can then build upon your skill. So you have established a habit, but maybe you're adding just a little bit more challenge each time. So I had this experience over Christmas or just before Christmas, I was asked to help a company, um, this lady in my church congregation in my ward who was asked to play the violin for a Christmas activity And she asked me to accompany her. And I said, yeah, but I usually need the music like, you know, a couple weeks ahead of time because I can't just sit down and play it. And the music was actually pretty, pretty challenging. But once I broke it down into just like sections, and then I would also give myself a manageable time limit, then it became not overwhelming because when I sat down at first and I saw seven pages, this pretty challenging piece, and I only had three weeks to get it up to speed, I felt pretty overwhelmed. But then as I broke it down and gave it into more manageable sections for myself, that was just right. It was a little bit challenging. I really did have to like deliberately practice parts and I would be playing um, runs and working my right hand and left hand separately and then together. And I think my family got sick of that song, but it was helpful. Like I knew it would take me a while, but I gave myself enough time. So that time limit and then the amount that I would practice each day was sort of like just right for me to get through this piece. I've been trying to be a little bit better about practicing every day because I really enjoyed that um, kind of bringing that skill back. I mean, I can still play the piano, but just like I haven't really worked on that skill for a while. And so I've tried to find a piece that's just a little bit hard enough. And then I've get myself just this smaller time period so that I know that I can, I would sit down and have the time to do it. Okay, so we have, you have to be careful about your habits kind of not being aware and getting away from you and and that idea of the evaluation and review so that you're making sure you're staying true to the person you want to become. And then we've talked about the Goldilocks rule. And so next, what I thought was quite telling was the greatest threat to your habits is not failure, but boredom. He's saying you have to just be willing to keep on working even when you don't want to and the motivation is down. 
and you just are tired of doing the same things over and over. I think that's so easy to do because I think of that, the episode on the belief window and one of the things that we need as a human being is variety. And so being willing to just go through the boredom to establish that habit so that we can get where we need to go and do the things we need to do is one thing that James Clear mentions is a thing to watch out for when you're trying to establish your habits. And I really thought about this so easy to do with like cooking and just like household chores. You know, you just get tired of doing them over and over. (laughs) And for us lately, I've noticed that we've really been in a rut with our food. Really, literally almost have the same meals every week. You know, Monday we have spaghetti, Tuesday tacos, Wednesday, you know, it's just like the same thing. And so before I even was like thinking about the last part of this book, I had been talking to my husband about, well, maybe we could bring back one day a week where we try a new recipe. And then it's not too overwhelming for all our kids because it's just one day if they don't like it, then that's okay. We don't put it in our rotation, but it's also fun to try something new and to bring a little bit of life back into our like meal planning. And so I've gotten really great in the habit of meal planning. Like I literally have a hard time going to the store unless I have my meals all planned out. So then I know what to buy. I can't just buy whatever. I mean, obviously I can go to the store and buy whatever, but I've gotten in this habit of planning my meals and then going and buying things according to what we're going to make, that sometimes it's easy, kind of goes back to my first point is that I'm, I'm getting less aware and we're getting into this rut and maybe we need to add different things into our rotation and spice things up a bit quite literally and figuratively. (laughs) But doing it in a manageable way, instead of thinking, oh, I'm just going to like change all our meals. And my kids would be like, mom, ah, what are you doing? So just that little bit of maybe one day a week. And even if that's too much, I'm going to kind of see how that goes. Maybe it's just like twice a month or, you know, something where I just add it in a manageable way that isn't too hard on my brain. (laughs) Okay, the last kind of thing to be aware of or downside of habits goes back to the idea of identity. And I just think this part, it's really ironic because he says at the beginning, and I mentioned that in the second part of this series, that if you attach your identity to a habit, it is more likely to be accomplished. Like, I am an athlete, I am a reader, I am, I love to cook, you know, like all these things as you attach to your habit or to your identity, you're more likely to follow through and keep going at it. But what he says is like, you have to be careful that it's not too tightly held because our pride can get involved And then we don't want to learn anymore. We're not flexible. 
So he says, keep your identity small. When you cling too tightly to your identity, you become brittle. So when we're not willing to maybe try something new or grow or kind of keep improving in little bits each time, if you you can think about the Goldilocks rule and adding a 1% better each time, just a little bit improvement and keep yourself open to growing, that you're not ever really kind of finished. Okay, so what can be the problem is let's say you define yourself as a runner and you run this big race and then you're just like so tired of it. You don't want to be a runner anymore or you get injured and you can't run, but you can still like you're not injured in such a way that like you can't do anything else, but you can't run. And I was thinking back to when I finished my race in June, I had injured myself in a way that like I had to do other things. So defining yourself in a way like I am an athlete, he says that's better, but even getting more specific in the type of person an athlete is, is more helpful because you could even get injured and not be able to do anything anymore. And then who are you? And so he says the key to mitigating these losses of identity is to redefine yourself in such a way that you get to keep the important aspects of your identity, even if your particular role changes. Because he says like, what happens when your particular role ends, whether it be a job, whether it be, you know, a race or whether it be an injury that puts you in a different position that you need to think of yourself in a different way. So I like what he suggests in the example of like, I, you know, I can't run anymore. I'm an athlete, but getting even more specific, he says, instead of thinking I am an athlete, think I am a type of person who is mentally tough and likes a challenge. Or he mentions that a lot of soldiers who come home from serving in the army or navy or whatever division of the military, and when they come back from being deployed, it is hard for them. You know, they define themselves, I am a soldier, but he suggests instead of I am a soldier, I am the type of person who is disciplined, reliable, and great on a team. So those types of things, as you think of your identity and who you want to become, you want to think even more into qualities. Like, is this goal I'm striving to accomplish going to achieve this type of characteristic that I want to have or these type of values that I want to have? I was thinking a lot about this with being a mom because as a mom, you go through so many different transitions. First, you're like a mom of a newborn and then you're a mom of a toddler and then an elementary school. And you can have a mixture of all these types of children and it can be so physically exhausting when they're younger. And I know now for me as my kids are mostly almost all teenagers and now in their 20s, there is 
more of a emotional and like psychological exhaustion. You know, how do I help them <laughs> in a way that doesn't take away who they want to be and their agency? There's all these different complicated things. And so I was like, okay, how do I define myself as a mom that keeps me grounded so that when I go through other transitions, like eventually, it's crazy to think about, but maybe in six and a half, seven years, I'm going to not have any kids at home. I mean, who knows? Maybe I'll have people living, going to school here, but my youngest is now 12 and in sixth grade. So that's like six and a half more years of school and then off to college. So it's just really weird to think about. So I was thinking quickly, and this might not be, I might have to come back to this, but like I thought, Something that I could identify with is that I am a mother who is there to love, encourage, empower, and serve my children in a way that will help them become a responsible human to someday build their own family and to be able to love and serve God in a profound way. And that I can do no matter what age my child is and stage of life that I'm in or they are in. I can still feel grounded in that identity. So that is kind of the irony of attaching your identity too much to something. If you're too brittle, then it makes it actually hard for you to continue to grow. And you may even forget about that evaluation, which I mentioned at the start, so that you're just not thinking about that. And you're so tied to your identity that it is maybe not taking you where you think you want to go and just reevaluating and process that. I mentioned that before, but he talked about this integrity evaluation. Are you living in a way that is true to the values that you really um, value? <laughs> okay. So we have come to the end. This is my last installment. I think this would be number four of my takeaways from Atomic Habits by James Clear. And I think this book is really good, not only to think about, first of all, before you start your all these New Year's resolutions or goals that sometimes fall away in the wayside by the end of January, Really coming to the point where you think, ah, who do I want to become? And then how can I do that in a way that makes it easy, like these 1% better? Then really understanding how your habits work and using those four laws to see how you can make it work better and easier and it's more rewarding and um, all those great things about the four laws. And then also continually being aware to reevaluate and to keep on being willing to grow and improve because we just keep getting better and better. And that's the great part of us being humans is this ability to grow and change and continually adjust to our growing and changing world and environment. Okay, you guys, 
If you haven't already bought the book or checked it out from the library, go and do it and then make a list. Like, what are the things you're going to do? I know for me, I have two things that I am working on that I have take away from this book. First, I have started with this two-minute rule with my kids and their jobs. Like, I've gotten way bad at... um or I've slacked off, I think, especially since the pandemic on having them do their chores. We sometimes forget during the week and then it's always a big hassle to try to get them to do it later. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to start really small and just ask them to do two minutes of their chores every day. And I got to keep doing it. And that is the thing I got to strive to just keep doing it, even if there's not variety in that. <laughs> but there's skills and habits that I want to help my kids learn how to do before they leave. And it's getting close before they leave me. And the other thing that I am doing is with my meals. Yeah, just adding that one meal a week. And then I might be working on something else, but um, those are two that I for sure want to start. And here we are the end of January, but I think the best part of like really getting a good understanding of what you want to become and then how you want to do it and breaking it down and making it way more manageable, it makes it so that you can actually accomplish your goals and desires that you want to accomplish and not just let your resolutions go by the wayside. Okay. So don't give up on the things you want to do or become. And I hope that these past four episodes have helped you want to get the book and then just go deeper into understanding because there's so many great things he mentions and I just am barely covering the surface. All right, you guys, have a great week and I will talk to you next week. All right, bye. you enjoyed today's episode if you have any questions come by findingthefloor.com where i will have show notes and links for anything i've mentioned today special thanks to seth johnson for creating and performing the theme music come back next week and thanks for listening 